Welcome to the Everything Early Childhood podcast designed for approved providers, nominated supervisors, and other childcare leaders. This fun, lighthearted, and very serious podcast features weekly episodes on strategy, advice, and conversations with fascinating and inspiring people from across our sector. Join the journey and have access to the tools and inspiration you need to create high-performing childcare businesses. Let's get started. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Early Childhood podcast, the show that explores all things related to critical years of a child's life. I am your host, Lisa Brown from Platinum Education. I am thrilled to be joined by today's guest, Declan Edwards. Um, Declan Edwards has dedicated his career to the research of happiness and supporting employers to create happy workplaces. As an expert in his field, Declan has helped countless organisations stand out in their industry and become accredited and happy workplaces. His insights and expertise have had a profound impact on individuals and teams, inspiring positive change and fostering a culture of happiness. So many of you may already be familiar with Declan's work as he's been making waves in his professional world, particularly on LinkedIn, where his thought-provoking content and practical advice has garnered a large and engaged following. So Declan's passion for happiness and his commitment to helping others thrive in both their personal and professional lives are truly inspiring. And I too have been following Declan's work and journey, and I'm so eagerly awaiting this conversation. So together we can delve into various topics relating to early childhood, happiness, workplace, and exploring how these two essential aspects intertwine with each other. So without further ado, welcome Declan. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. My, 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 what an intro. I'm honored by that. This is going to be fun. So fun. I'm really excited to delve into it. Um, I am curious. So why happiness? Oh, it's a good question. Why <laughs> happiness? Uh, look, the answer I give these days when people ask me why happiness is I go, why not happiness? I mean, at the end of the day, it is a core human desire. I remember coming across uh, a story quite a while ago about this idea of asking people what they want out of life and you'll get millions of different answers, right? And so they might go, oh, well, look, currently I'm saving up for a house or I want to change jobs or I want a partner or I want to travel or and whatever the top answer is, you go, yeah, but why do you want that? And then you'll go a little bit deeper. We'll scratch past the surface. And I might go, oh, well, I want growth or meaning or purpose or security or comfort. And you go, yeah, but why do you want those things? And you go a bit deeper. And the theory was by the time you did this five times, they call it five wise theory, every single human being on the planet, regardless of background, culture, age, gender, will give the same answer. It will be one of two things. We will land on either because I want to be happy or because I want to be loved. Yes. That's it. Happiness and love are like the core foundational human needs. And the reason I've dedicated my life to studying is because I grew up realizing that um, I'd learned a lot about how to be, you know, employable. I'd learned a lot about how to get a job. I'd learned a lot about academics and, and mathematics and science. And I'd learned basically nothing about how to be happy right. but it was a, a core human desire so i stumbled into this field of positive psychology which is colloquially known as the science of happiness and researching what it means to live a happy and fulfilling life and fell in love 
never looked back. I've spent the last, geez, close to 10 years of my life now um, diving into it, studying more and more and more and currently completing my master's thesis specifically on workplace happiness. Um, and it's, yeah, I think some of the most profound work we can do. I'm very grateful and fortunate to be able to do this. And what is happiness? Oh, it's a big one. Now I'll, I'll, I love when people ask me this. Throw yes. me the hard-hitting ones. Let's open with the we'll big start question. start there, yes. What is happiness? Um, I like to remind people, like, this is a question. Okay, so first and foremost, two caveats on this. I don't believe anyone has a one-size-fits-all answer for what a happy life is mm. for 8 billion people on the planet, regardless of how much they've done. Like, I'm not some happiness guru out here going, hey, everyone needs to live this way. And the second thing I'll argue or I'll, I'll sort of caveat on and say is, as much as positive psychology is a relatively new field of research, like last 30, 40 years or so, we have been asking the question, what is happiness since the dawn of mankind? Like we can go back to the ancient yes. Greek philosophers and Stoics and they were asking what happiness is. My answer for myself that I've landed on after many years and that yeah changes over time, but the core is kind of the same. For me, happiness is when I'm deeply fulfilled and content with who I am where I am in this current chapter of my life mm -hmm. and I have something meaningful that I'm moving towards. So what I notice is if I skew too far either way, if I skew too far into like just being present, just being in the current moment, just being happy with who I am, where I am, I get hungry for that sense of growth again. I get hungry for that sense of change and adventure and progression. Mm. But if I'm only focusing on growth and change and progression, I get stuck on something that we call in happiness research, the hedonic treadmill, which everyone has been on at some point, which is I'll be happy when. Right. And I go, oh, I'll be happy when this happens with our work or when I finish my master's thesis and I get a break from study or when, you know, I'm on that trip and I'm traveling and we chase happiness around the next corner, but never quite attain it. So for me personally, I found trying to bring those two together. How can I be deeply happy and you know, content with who I am right now. So good relationship with myself, mm -hmm. which has been a journey where I am in this current chapter of my life. So presencing and have something meaningful I'm working towards. Now for the listeners of this, if parts of that resonate with you, I encourage you to steal them. I don't have a trademark on that definition of happiness. Go to town. It's all yours. But I also encourage you to start thinking about what your answer to that question is. Like how would I define happiness for myself? And it's so it's so true, and I wonder almost how much purpose has to has to play in you know achieving lasting happiness as well. Yeah, purpose is a huge contributor. So what we know from the research is happiness is not this singular feeling, right? There's different expressions of happiness. It's almost like an umbrella term for a bunch of different emotions mm. that sit below it, like you know pride, contentment, joy, excitement, pleasure. These are all types of happiness. Mm -hmm. But they're pretty different, right? If you look at sort of the more dopamine-driven ones, the excitement, elation, joy, pleasure, they're pretty fleeting. They come and go really quick. We call it hedonic happiness from the old ancient Greek philosophers, the hedonists, who thought that the key to a happy life was a lot of pleasure and no pain. They're like, yeah. if you can live a pleasurable life, um, you know, eat good food, drink good wine, throw good parties, um, and you don't have much pain in your life, then you'll be happy. But what that leads to, if we just pursue that, is like a joyous but kind of empty life. Okay. 
And so on without, the other side, without the yeah. like, without the troughs, you, and you know, we don't have that that balance because I always wonder that. Like, if you live in that heightened state of that joy and excitement, how do you mm. know if you don't experience the the flip side of exactly, that as well? Exactly right, mm. and you inevitably will. Like, you'll have peaks and troughs. But the other side, to come back to what you're saying with purpose, is like mm. there's a type of happiness called eudaimonic happiness. Again, ancient Greek word, um, which means the meaningful life. So this is more about contentment, pleasure, uh, sorry, contentment, purpose, not pleasure, uh, purpose, meaning, connection. So it's like a steadier state happiness. It doesn't peak and trough as quickly. It takes a bit longer to grow, but it stays around for longer. Um, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a big argument when people ask me, well, what's better out of, you know, hedonic happiness, the big joy and excitement or the meaning and purpose and contentment happiness. I like to argue that the answer is the same that the girl said on the old El Paso taco ad of like, por no los dos, right? Like, why not both? Right. And then we throw a party. <laughs> both why not? are useful. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. both are useful. So we need to have meaning and purpose and contentment in our life. And we need to find things that bring us joy and excitement. I wonder almost like how, because I find that, I mean, I'll talk about my own experience here, mm. but you know, we, do we stop ourselves from experiencing those satisfaction and joy, joyous moments? Like I feel like getting stuck in your head is a big thing. Mm. So how, and you know, that inner voice and the messages we tell ourselves. So how do we get out of that cycle? Um, or do you have any tips about how to get out of that cycle, um, you know, in our own heads? Yeah, definitely. So we need to practice the skills of happiness. Like I said to people, happiness is a skill set. It is a bunch of skills like gratitude, perspective, like self-awareness, like mindfulness, like self-worth and self-esteem. These are all things that we can get better at. But I think a lot of people don't realize that. They go either I'm a confident person or I'm not, you know, I'm mindful or I'm not. I, the amount of people who've said to me, I tried meditation once and hated it. I'm like, you rode once? a bike once and fell off it. <laughs> yeah. Did you decide that you'd never ride a bike again? It's like these internal skills we think we're meant to inherently have or we're not meant to have them. It's, that's not true. You're meant to practice them. The other thing I'll say is, and sometimes this shocks people when I tell them it because I'm a happiness researcher, your brain doesn't care if you're happy. That's not its priority. Your brain's priority is to keep you alive. Mm. So it will sacrifice happiness for survival, which is why typically our minds are really good at pointing out what could go wrong. They're really good at finding worst case scenario. They're really good at worrying and tapping into like anxiety and stress and fight or flight. Because that's the stuff that kept us alive historically. It's really good that it does that. But what we need to also teach it to do is get really good at celebrating and finding good moments, at forming a better relationship with ourselves. right? That's a skill that takes more intentional work and effort. The other ones, you mentioned the internal critic, like the worry, mm. the self-doubt. That's pretty built in automatically, right? Like our brains are naturally pretty good at that. So I always say, well, you don't need any more practice at self-doubt. You've done that a lot in your life. We need to now practice self-trust, right? right. We need to practice gratitude. We need to practice mindfulness. Um, how do so yeah, we practice? Yeah, how to, how to practice? Like where would you recommend um, starting? So yeah, so first and foremost, don't reinvent the wheel, right? When it comes to learning any skill, there are three things that make a world of difference in you being better at them. And I mean this with like learning a language, learning an instrument, same with learning things like emotional intelligence and self-awareness. First and foremost, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. There is so much great techniques and research out there about how to do this stuff. Dive into some self-help books, dive into some podcasts like this one. Um, 
you know, just learn from the people around you. A lot of what I've learned over my journey, a lot of what we teach at BU Happiness College is not stuff that I've synthesized out of nowhere. It's I get to stand on the shoulders of giants who dedicated their life to studying this. And then we get to expand and expand and expand. So first of all, go learn from somewhere, right? Don't try to figure it out yourself. Um, The second one is if possible, try to get around people who are doing it there's this thing called the contagion effect where we become more like the people around us. You might've found this. If you hang out with someone for long enough, you start speaking like them and you're like, Oh my God, my friends in my head, right? There's, there's a hard built like part of our brain. That's like, I want to fit in. I want to be part of the group. It's again, a safety mechanism. Now that's detrimental. If let's say is a hypothetical you know, you surround yourself with people with behaviors that don't align with your values, you're probably going to start displaying those behaviors anyway. On the flip side, if you find people who are pretty happy and content, who are living a meaningful and purposeful life, and you surround yourself with them, you're going to kind of be dragged along that journey. It's something I'm very proud of that we have at the college is like, you're going to a college and learning these things around a bunch of other people who want to show up as their best self. Mm. And then the third one, get some form of professional guidance if possible. Now I'm very mindful in Australia, the wait list to work with a psychologist can be up to six months. Like it's, it's a hard system for a lot of people. Unfortunately, it's increasingly um, challenging in, in many ways. What I mean by this is whether it be a counselor, therapist, psychologist, you know, mental health professional coach, um, you know, in, in our case with positive psychology and what we do at the college, when you have someone there who's keeping you accountable, when you have someone there who's pointing out your blind spots, some real magic happens. Like I've been doing this for 10 years. I still have coaching sessions for myself that I check in on. Um, someone once shared with me this concept of like, why would you say in bolt the world's fastest man have a running coach? Like it, on one level, it doesn't make sense. Like what is the running coach teaching him? You can't do anything better. But on the other hand, you're like, well, the running coach keeps you saying accountable, lifts him up when he's feeling down, points out things that he can't see and holds him to a higher standard. Right. It's kind of the same with learning any skill. So if you want to learn those internal skills, to repeat, don't reinvent the wheel. Get around other people who are passionate about learning them. And if possible, work with someone. And I'm excited about the day where working on your internal skills to live a happier, more fulfilling life is not taboo and not something that we're seen as like, I think still to this day, as much as mental health is becoming more spoken about, it's very much mental ill health that's being spoken about. Right. So we're talking more about depression, anxiety, which is needed. It's very important that we are, but it leads to this concept of people going, well, I'll only work on that if I hit rock bottom. Yeah. If I'm in minus 10, I'll work on it with a professional to get back to neutral. And the argument I put out is there's so much more to life than living at neutral. Mm. We need to also look at not just mental ill health, but mental flourishing and go, how do we go from neutral to plus 10? Mm. And I've heard Simon Sinek doing a lot of, um, you know, talking a lot about it at the moment. And he says, I don't like to talk about it in terms of mental health. I like to talk about it mental fitness because, mm. you know, like our, our health and our bodies, like we don't, we go to the gym and some days our bodies just might not be into it. And yep. that's like our, you know, our mental fitness because some days we might not be there and that's okay too. Yep. hundred percent. I love that term. 
Yeah. So I, yeah, that really resonated for me as well. So I want to go back a little bit and talk about, so you know how you said about our brain and how Mm. it just kicks in to just protect us. Like we haven't, you know, there's no evolution that our brain has come to that it's like, you know, yes, let's be happy. It's protecting us. So when our brain is in that fight or flight mode and that's kicked in um, because it can happen so easily and you can get caught up in that cycle. I know you used a really great term um scientific term but how do we get out of it like what what are the steps or stages that we can do so we might not be at that 10 yet where we're seeking help but Mm. we're sort of in that phase going through the motions in that fight or flight and I find also on that note it's hard to recognize sometimes when you're in that stage Mm. yes true true so in answer question what we do when we're in fight or flight I like to say the solutions to fight or flight and helping us get out of that stress response, do the exact opposite of what you think you would do if you were being chased by a tiger. Now, let me explain, right? So fight or flight response kicks in because we think we're at threat in some way and our brain goes, I need to protect myself. It's very useful for that. Now in our modern life, we're not directly in threat that often. So we start to respond to perceived threats like, oh, if I fail this meeting or do poorly in that presentation, then I'm going to lose my job. And then our brain runs ahead and goes, and if I lose my job, I'm going to lose my house. If I, you know what I mean? So we, yeah. our brain starts to go, what is the risk here that I can perceive? It's really good at trying to keep us safe. Our way out of fight or flight, the, some of the best ones that have been found uh, through research, so deep stretching or lying on your back, putting your legs up against the wall. Uh, the other one is what's called the... Um, the it's like a sigh breath so you breathe in through your nose and then you breathe in a little bit more through your nose so it's like two breaths in so in and then a second little in so we're getting that full diaphragm expansion and then almost like the sigh of relief out like a yeah and you can see your whole body like just respond yes yeah if you've ever been around someone my wife has noticed me do it actually occasionally if i've had a big day i'll be penting up my breath i'm in fight or flight and i'll just have this like like Simon, she's like, you good? Like, what's the deep breath for? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty cool. My brain's just trying to get back into that rest and digest state because I've trained it to do it, mm. right? So again, if you were actually being chased by a tiger, you're probably not lying down, putting your legs up against a wall. You're probably not going, let's breathe really slow and deep, Yeah. right? And the other good one is um, coming back to the present. So being aware of what's around you. There's a cool technique called five, four, three, two, one, where you look at five things that you can see and you name them, four things you can feel, like texture of your clothes against your skin or the temperature, uh, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, one thing you can taste. That just forces you to come back to the current moment rather than being caught up in worrying about the future or obsessing about the past. Uh, and then the last one I'd recommend is gratitude. So finding things to be really grateful for and trying to train your brain to look for what's good. So you've got kind of got two physiological ones, two that are led by the body, the stretching and the deep breath mm-hmm. and two that are more led by your mind. So presencing through five, four, three, two, one, um, and gratitude as a practice. None of those things would be possible if you were actually under direct threat. So if you do them, you're kind of sending this signal straight to the brain of, I am safe. I'm okay right now. Right. Yeah. We don't need to be in this final flight. And so it just helps down regulate it a little bit. Love that. Yeah, love that. And I'm interested to hear, so you know how you said about surrounding yourself with people that are like-minded and I love that. I think it's so important to have those people around you, those cheerleaders and people that are doing things that you want to do as well. 
Um, but I'm interested to know, obviously in workplaces, we can't really choose who we spend our time with. Amen. All right. <laughs> so what do we what do we do in those situations where it's not really our choice with who we have around us? And, you know, as you said, it's contagious, right? So, you know, I call it P or N, positivity or negativity. They're both mm. contagious. So mm-hmm. what do we do in our workplaces when it's not really in our control with who we surround ourselves by? Start with self. Get really obsessive about how you show up. Like be the contagion. I I see a lot of people, unfortunately, and it's funny, I actually see this a lot in like the caring and helper industries Mm -hmm. um, because uh, actually I've seen this a lot in early childhood. Uh, We've done a lot of consulting in that space. I go, hey, you're great. One of your greatest human strengths is your care and compassion for others and how much you want to help others. Yeah. One of your greatest drawbacks is you forget to give that same care and compassion to yourself. And so sometimes we fall into this trap of, I've even seen people learn these things and they learn more about, you know, emotional intelligence and the skills of happiness. And they go, Oh my God, everyone I work with needs to learn this. And I'm like, yeah, but what are you doing with it? Like if I had a dollar for every time someone said to me, Oh, my partner or my boss or my friend really should go to the happiness college and learn how to manage their mind and emotions. I'm like, yeah, but how are you doing with managing your mind and emotions? Right. Sometimes we forget to start with self. And so I think it's this practice of like at work, if you can lead by example, if you can learn and consistently show up as the best version of yourself, if you can work on your emotional regulation, on your mindset, on, you know, your character strengths and bringing your best self to work. Hopefully what that leads to is a little bit of a ripple effect where it starts to influence others or one of two things will happen. It'll either lead to a ripple effect and other people will come on the journey with you. And you'll have a role in making your whole workplace better. Or it will become increasingly clear that that workplace and that team clashes with your personal values, clashes with the best version of yourself, and it is in your best interest to move on. Either Mm -hmm. option is better than staying in the middle ground. Or the opposite. You'll start to notice those people who don't resonate with the values of your organization. And then it might be time for them to move on as well. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Which is better for everyone. So. Yeah, well, I mean, isn't that right? Like at the end of the day, I think I, I talk about like a frequency or resonance, like, you know, wherever that energy is lying, you want the people around you to match that energy. Yeah. And to, to be able to contribute positively to each other's lives. I think yeah. there's this, you know, you mentioned sort of the contagion positive energy. I, I always call it the ripple effect. Like whether yeah. we like it or not, we are all spreading some form of ripple effect through our day-to-day actions. And it's normally how we show up for ourselves, the internal skills, call them soft skills, call them human skills, whatever you want to call them. I right? hate that. We we I get it so much from parents. Skills. Yes. Oh, They're it. like, you are so good at teaching my child the soft skills. And I'm yeah. like, what do you think a child is going to make them successful in life? Like yeah. these are life skills. And, you know, you started off the conversation talking about, um, you know, academics and you learn all of these things. But what did you actually learn? Right, exactly. And it's like, oh, they're so yeah. crucial. Yeah, we we split it out now. We talk about them in terms of technical skills yeah. and um, human skills. Yes. And technical skills are traditionally more, they're specific to a domain. They're specific to something in life, right? Like learning a bike is a technical, like learning to ride a bike is a technical skill. Yeah. How relevant that is to your relationship, how relevant that is to your job, who knows? Right. So like a lot of our education system has been built around how do we build technical skills uh, to help us be good employees. There's this movement now towards, hang on, we need to look at our human skills that help us be better human beings. 
for two reasons. One, workplaces and organizations are increasingly recognizing that you can teach technical skills pretty easily to someone who's got good human skills. So there's a like workplaces are begging at the moment for employees with good soft skills, human skills, whatever you want to call it. And so they're struggling to find it because people haven't worked on them intentionally. I think there was a Harvard study that showed that 90% of someone's professional development is spent on technical skills specific to their individual job. And only 10% is spent on their human skills or soft skills, which would actually be relevant to any role or any career path they're in. We need to flip that equation. The other reason it's even more important now it's getting this big come up is because of the rise of machine learning and AI. A lot of the technical skills are going to be increasingly outsourced. There's this beautiful trend happening in um, a lot of career pathways at the moment of the saying was you go back a hundred years, the vast majority of humanity was employed in roles related to their hands. So it was manufacturing, farming output. What can you physically make? Then machines started being built and we went, huh, machines do that really well. So then we shifted into this era where a lot of people were being employed based on their heads. What ideas can you come up with? What problems can you solve? Right? What can you, it's like a knowledge based economy. And now the, the prediction is with the rise of artificial intelligence, are we about to see a new era where we will be employed by our hearts? Not by our heads, not by our hands. We'll be employed by the skills that are inherently make us human. Empathy, emotional intelligence, connection, right? Meaning, purpose. These things that human beings do exceptionally well that as of yet, touch wood, AI has not <laughs> learned how to do. Yeah. Oh, and oh my, my husband, he's so scared of AI. He's like, we're going to turn into, what's that movie? He's like, we're going to turn into, it's going to be Terminator. Yeah. We're going to take over the world. Um, so he's like, ask it, ask it. Is it a living being or whatever the words are? <laughs> but um, oh, I, I completely agree with that. And like we've, we say in early childhood all the time, like the children and the future citizens that we're educating today, the jobs or careers or, you know, don't even exist yet. Exactly. Like yeah. these are the humans in our future that is going to create what our future is going to look like and be. Yeah, which is why we need to learn skills that are cross-contextual and last forever. I mentioned before these human skills, you know, of what does it mean to live a happy life, of self-awareness, of, you know, connection, of gratitude, all these skills we're talking about that are associated with happiness, they have been relevant to the human experience for the last thousands of years. And they will continue to be relevant to human beings for thousands of years to come. The challenge at the moment is how can we hope to teach the next generation these skills if we never learned them ourselves? Yeah. Yeah. We're trying. It's the blind leading the blind. So this is why I get super excited when we do get to work with um, educators, right? Is the ripple effect of that. Like I always talked about, I'm like, if we can teach educators to do these skills exceptionally well and be happy for themselves, they're naturally going to spread that to, you know, kids and the next generation. And that's just going to fundamentally make the world a better place. 100%. And that's what we're so passionate about is obviously making that difference for our future generations. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Well, how can people find you? How can people find you? How can people work with you? How can you help? Tell us everything. I mean, I would love to just talk all day. Like let's um, schedule an eight hour episode. <laughs> let's, chat. let's do yeah, it. Let's keep going. Um, Oh, brilliant. So how people can find me, you mentioned at the start, LinkedIn is a big one for me lately. Um, people are really resonating with my work on there, which I'm really grateful for. You can, so Declan Edwards on LinkedIn, 
You can also go to Instagram and search BU Happiness College. Our team puts out really good content. I'd say the difference is LinkedIn, I focus a little bit more on building workplace happiness and measuring happiness as a KPI in great organizations. Uh, so if you're a leader of an organization, if you're running a center, you know, that's a great place to go. If you're particularly interested in like personal happiness and learning to manage your mind and emotions for yourself, Instagram's probably your better move. Um, you can also obviously check out our website, be you happiness college. And in terms of taking steps with us, again, if you're looking for individual development and working on your own personal growth and happiness, uh, you can book a connection call through our website. It's complimentary. You can chat to one of our coaches, see if it's a good fit. If it is, we talk about which program, which pathway, which enrollment at the college is best for you. Uh, and for workplaces, we do a complimentary uh, workplace scoping session where we chat about your team size, what challenges you're facing with your people and culture, and start looking at how we're going to diagnose that and measure it to make better strategic actions and not rely on guesswork. So both your steps in either path, they're both free to start with. So you've got nothing to lose by trying. Love that. Love that. I'm going to follow those steps. Um, and it's, it is, I agree. It's an inside job. We've got to get ourselves, you know, right. And I see, you know, for our headspace first. So um, yeah, no, it's super crucial and really important. I'm going to sneak a last question in though, before Hit we finish up. Yeah. I, I wanted to really touch base. So you know how you were talking about, um, you know, being that person at being an inside job, showing up the way you want others around you to, to see in your organization. How do you, what advice or how do you guide leaders? So, you know, we show up, we be that person, that role model, you know, that mentor all day long to all these people. But, you know, in that downward curve, like let's say you're doing it for like six weeks or you're doing it for a year ongoing and it gets to that, like, do you find that in the research that there's always that downward curve with how do they care for themselves when they're so busy caring and being that person for everybody else? Mm, yeah, it's a good question. It's what I'll answer with this is so our our entire curriculum at the college is actually built around the answer to this. I'm actually okay. like what we found is there's three key steps to living a happy and fulfilling life. Step one we call smile or fill your cup. And that's learning how to manage your mind and regulate your emotions effectively. Right. It's hard to do anything else if you're wrestling with your mind and emotions because that's just exhausting. Anyone who's done it knows how tiring it is. At step two, we have grow or expand your cup. Now, this is learning more about behavior change, fulfilling your potential. This is vision. This is goal setting, right? This is bringing your character strengths and your best self to the people around you. And so what we're looking at here is how do we expand our potential? Like we're managing our mind and emotions well now, but now we want to expand our potential. And stage three is give aka pour from the cup. You've spent the time filling a cup and making it bigger. Now let's give to others. And this is where we look at healthy humanistic leadership. This is where we look at great relationship building. Uh, this is where we look at, you know, the importance of giving back and playing part in something bigger than yourself. Everyone wants to jump to step three, right? Everyone wants to be like, I'm a good person who gives back and they forget to do step one and two really well. And so they burn out. And I think the reason a lot of leaders end up doing that is because a lot of the time they're accidentally thrust into stage three. The amount of time people are thrust into a leadership position at work. And then I read a report the other day that terrified me. On average in Australia, people are in leadership positions for six years before they receive any formalized training in how to be a good leader. Wow. So you've gone from, hey, you're really, really good at you know, being a team member, we think you should lead the team now. Those are inherently different skills. Yeah, That's an inherently different requirement. And people get thrust into leadership and then go, good luck, lead the team, have fun. And 
so naturally they're overwhelmed. They've got a bunch of imposter syndrome. They're like, I don't bloody know what I'm doing here, but I can't tell anyone that. Yeah. And so they, they're trying to pour and pour and pour, but they haven't done those first two stages well enough. And so the first thing I recommend from an organizational level, have formalized leadership training embedded into your culture and into your company. If you are putting someone in a leadership position, have systems in place, have education programs in place, have professional development opportunities in place to help them learn to be a good leader. It is essential from an individual level, A, ask for that at work and B, if you don't get it, start seeking it out, right? Look for ways to educate and to learn. Because if you can do those first two stages, well, if you can learn how to manage your mind and emotions effectively, if you can learn how to uh, show up as the best version of yourself, to know your values, to create good behavior change in yourself, I promise you, you're going to be able to lead a lot more sustainably and a lot more effectively without such a high risk of burnout. That makes so much sense because it's true. Like, and I always say like the people that we put in leadership positions, particularly in early childhood, we're teachers. Like that Mm -hmm. is what we are trained to do. That's where we build our knowledge. And then all of a sudden we're thrust into leading people. We're thrust into um, leading businesses and organizations, but that's where the gap lies. The gap lies in that education. And it's so true. We do. We go to step three without um, having to look at step one and two, but we have an obligation. Like I think as professionals and as organizations, we have an obligation to look at our people as people and human beings and build that up and provide them with that education. And yeah, and not only an obligation, but literally becoming more of an obligation because psychosocial risk is now part of workplace health and safety. So it's now becoming a legal requirement that you look after the impact that your workplace has on your staff mentally and emotionally, not just physically. Um, but also it's it's just a genuinely a better strategic move for workplaces. Yeah, All of the research shows that you know, well-developed leaders and happy staff who have these human skills perform better. They deliver a better impact on children in this case and on parents and on the community. They make a better reputation. They, they function better as a business. So like, I think the global average at the moment is like for every dollar an organization invests into uh, increasing staff happiness and into strategies to improve their human skills, they should expect about $2.63 in return in 12 months. If I told you there was like a box out there that you could go put a dollar into and get $2.63 out of 12 months later, what would everyone do? They'd run to the box and start funneling money into it. Yeah, good deal, good deal. It blows my mind that Mm. so many organizations don't invest into their greatest asset, which is their staff. Or if they do invest, they're only investing in their technical skills and in like competencies for their role rather than these human skills. So as you said, not only an obligation to do it for our team and to our people, but genuinely a good business decision. Yeah. And so don't just build great leaders, build great humans. 100%. Oh, that's the catchphrase. That's the catchphrase. That's the name of of our episode. That's the catchphrase (laughs) of this episode right there, people. You got it. Love it. Love it. Oh, well, look, I would honestly, I mean, I got to book a session with you, honestly, but um, yeah, thank you so, so much for uh, coming on our Everything Early Childhood podcast. Loved it. Loved every minute. I've taken so many notes um, myself, but so many things that we are already doing, it's, you've made it make sense. Um, nice. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, you've made yeah. it really make sense. So for me, I yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. So I hope all of you have enjoyed it as much as we have. Um, remember to follow Declan Edwards on LinkedIn, subscribe to our podcast for further episodes. And thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And until next time, keep making every moment count. 
Thanks for listening to the Everything Early Childhood podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. We read them all. (laughs) To catch all the latest from me, your host, Lisa Brown, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lisa Brown underscore Platinum Ed. Thanks again for listening. Keep making every moment count and I'll see you next time.